Ladies and gentlemen, this podcast, Film Jerks, is truly one of the most spoiler-filled film podcasts ever recorded. It contains ridiculous opinions, which under no circumstances should be listened to by anyone that has a heart condition or anyone who is easily upset by film spoilers. We urgently recommend that if you are such a person, or parent of a young and impressionable child now listening, that you skip to the end of the podcast for our ratings and live your lives free of disagreeing with overtly opinionated people. You'll live longer. Film Jerks is a group where we, as a community, pick a film to watch, then discuss like little old ladies in a book club. Only our films have decapitations and nude slumber party pillow fights. If you wish to become part of the conversation and become a film jerk, go to the Facebook group and join. Film Jerks can be found on iTunes and Stitcher Smart Radio. Welcome to Film Jerks, the podcast where we look at movies like Little Old Ladies in a Book Club. Only our movies have slasher wannabes and virginal plot twists. Today, we are unfortunately not going to have our lipstick jerk, Angelique. She's having some issues with the uh, internet, and uh, hopefully we'll have all those resolved and she'll be back on our next month's episode. But as always, I am your bowtie jerk, and with us today is the music jerk, Kevin. How are you doing today, Hello. Kevin? Uh, excited about uh, today's uh, film? Considering it was uh, one of my three, yes, absolutely. <laughs> Perfect. And uh, we have two guests. Well, we first of all have Cole. Uh, Cole, how are you doing tonight? Doing fantastic, Paul. Thanks for having me, kind sir. Oh, it's always good to have you. And uh, are you excited about this film? Of course, yes, naturally. Naturally, <laughs> as uh, a connoisseur and a maker of... of uh, not only horror films, but specifically slasher films. I'm I'm stoked. Yeah, wonderful. Well, we're we're going to be glad to to kind of uh, link into your insight, of course. Uh, and then also with us uh, is our next guest, who is Keith. Keith, how are you tonight? I'm doing great, Paul. Thanks a lot to you guys for uh, having me on here. I um, can't wait to talk about the movie. Fantastic. We uh, definitely uh, want to have your insight because you are also a, a filmmaker as well. And uh, uh, what can you are you excited about our discussion tonight? Yeah. And, you know, I love deconstructed horror. I love comedy in horror. Um, so this movie is right up my alley. I love this film. <laughs> All right. And of course, the movie that we'll be talking about this month is Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Vernon from 2006. boy murdered Silas, buried his body in the fields, and dragged Molly from the house, hanging her in the farm's apple orchard.
have no idea how much cardio I have to do. It's ridiculous. Why so much? There's that whole thing of making it look like you're walking. Everybody else is running their ass. That boy, he's going to be the best yet. Everybody thinks we just wake up one morning and start obsessing about a girl and start stalking her, killing everybody that gets in the way. That does seem to happen a lot with you guys. There's always been hacks out there. One hit wonders. Just cheapens it. That's great, honey. Welcome to my allegedly ancestral home. There are 11 exits from the first floor. <laughs> another eight or nine that might be manageable from the second. You want to eliminate as many as you can from being practical. I'll wait here for them to start doing their thing. All the obvious weapons I've sabotaged. Why are you doing this? We're not going to have this conversation. Oh, why? The what, you Get in the van. So how will this play out? How will this work? You won't like what you see. I promise you that. This is like my Christmas. I'm so happy. <laughs> Make sure you're Uh, this film takes place in a world where movie slashers are real individuals, and they're basically based on real-life events in the world. And this world is kind of a, a strange thing because the killers have reached almost a celebrity status. And uh, the story is focused on a man named Leslie Vernon, who claims to be the next big slasher that is coming into the world. And uh, using the rules of cinematic slasher films, we have this Vernon character using a crew of uh, grad students made up of Taylor, Todd, and Doug. And he basically uses them to bring his own legend into the, into existence, essentially. Um, the first act sets up uh, Leslie's basically uh, a rise or his planning phase of uh, setting up his night of terror. Um, he has his doc documentary film crew that's following him around as he uh, goes out. And we wind up getting our first glimpses at at basically his final girl, the girl that he's, uh, that he's picked to, uh, survive his night of terror. And as he does, uh, tormenting things to kind of get into her head preemptively, we also get to see him working on his cardio and running through a lot of, a lot of really great, uh, to some of the, uh, slasher film tropes. Like, how is it that the killer, you know, despite the fact that the survivors are running at full speed, the killer can be walking at a, a leisurely stroll and uh, just be getting closer and closer every time that they turn around. So uh, what are your initial thoughts of the film, Kevin? I really, really enjoyed this one when I first saw it, when it uh, when it first hit DVD years ago, it, just because of the fact that it does wind up giving a fresh spin on a uh, on a genre that can sometimes come off as very overdone, um, very repetitive, uh, that being the slasher genre. 
I just think that having the twist in here of the the film crew and basically elevating the killer into almost but not quite a uh, a sympathetic sort of role uh, really breathes some fresh life into this. Uh, how about you, Cole? What are your initial thoughts on the film? Well, I, I walked through a blizzard to get this. Actually, I was living in a garage at the time. It was mid-January, right before my birthday, and I had some birthday money given to me from somebody. And, to, you know, paying off this camera so I could make, make this new movie and stuck in this garage, but I had a, had a TV hooked up. So I walked up to Walmart, who at the time sold stuff like this. I mean, uh, you know, it's, it's a totally different world now. But I was able to walk a few miles. I bought this and Hatchet, literally, this is, this is no joke, and watch them back-to-back, Hatchet first, this second, uh, with a good friend of mine, and sort of defined the DVD double, double feature for me. But um, this movie is really clever. On, on every level, in terms of sort of setting up the killer to be almost a comedy sidekick to this documentarian, you know, she's sort of following him and, and he's very comedic. I mean, it's almost Dane Cookish in terms of how he's delivering stuff, how he's referring to stuff. We get slight little jabs of sinister things like he might eat his turtles, stuff like that. Um <laughs> It is, it's very interesting in, in terms of it starts off as a, as a satire, um, way, way further uh, on, on the spectrum of satire than something like Scream ever was. Hmm. And, and, and ends up way, way further on the other end of the spectrum where it's like, man, you can see if they had a couple extra bucks. The ending of this film could have you know, really had some impact. I love the film. I think it's great. I, I think it works as a really interesting, low-budget experiment in uh, satirizing horror by people who love it. Thank you, Cole. That was wonderful. Mr. Keith, what, do you, what are your initial thoughts on the film? Well, you know, I was when I first watched this film, I was hooked so early on, and uh, I, I think it's got a phenomenal first act. And uh, I think it's in part because as soon as you meet Leslie, you get the sense that he's done this before, you know, and he he knows all the tropes and and he's kind of worked out how to get things done as a serial killer. But, you know, it also functions as a sort of origin story. And, you know, normally I really don't like slasher origin stories, but I think this one works because Leslie is so likable in the first act. And you're right. I mean, he is like a kind of a Dane Cook. Like, he's so funny. And you're not really sure if he's goofing these documentary <laughs> students or if he's serious. Um, but, you know, in that first act, you you get to see him begin his hero's journey. In the first act of, of most great films, you know, you get that the hero is embarking on something and they will change by the end of it. And so seeing where he starts off and trying to figure out, like, is he reliable? Like, can we trust him? He's so charming, but you, you you sense that he has a dark side. Like going through that first half hour or so of the film is so interesting because he brings you in. But at the same time, you as the audience member are kind of a member of the documentary crew because you're brought in by him. But you at the same time are not sure whether or not to trust him. And uh, I think as a, a, a way to introduce a serial killer and sort of do an origin story 
for a serial killer, I think it's just brilliant. Uh, Kevin, what are your thoughts about uh, the Leslie character? Do you think he's this very charismatic guy, or do you think he was, you know, what are, what are your thoughts on him? Absolutely think that he's, you know, he comes across as very charismatic. He comes across as likable. Um, but it, every time that you find yourself kind of falling into this sort of comfort level with him, um, with the people that he associates with, like, uh, like Eugene and Eugene's wife, the, the more that you start to fall in, all of a sudden something will happen or he'll say something that just sort of snaps you hard back out of it. So I think it, it really does kind of play into that whole like psychopath kind of vibe that he is this this likable, this uh, easily, you know, manipulatable, I guess, uh, with the people around him, where uh, where he can sort of lull you into this false sense of comfort, only to all of a sudden kind of layer back and you kind of start to see that there's something a lot darker lurking underneath. How about you, Cole? What are your thoughts on the main character, uh, Leslie? I, I think he's fantastic. I, I actually hadn't given him his full credit uh, until this evening. I always focused on the young lady who plays the lead. She's she's very skeptical and, and very sort of at <clears throat> odds with, with what's happening. And, and in terms of the, the surrealistic notion the film takes, which is that, a group of, of, you know, filmmakers would watch this happen to the point where people are being murdered. She pulls it off. I mean, she she's the one who has to make that notion believable to the to the point where you could hear the sickle going into somebody's throat and still keep making the movie. And she makes that happen. But this evening when I watched uh, his performance, I realized just how brilliant he is. He, I mean, he, for many reasons that people before me mentioned, but also. For the scene where he breaks down up there in the hayloft, you know, and she she asks, I, I can't remember what. How are you feeling about tonight? I, I don't remember the exact quote, but uh, something along the lines of "How are you feeling tonight?" And he just he starts weeping uncontrollably, and he's just, I, I'm so happy. I'm so happy. I'm so happy. How cool is that? That's original writing combined with good acting and a really good steady shot focused on. That's great stuff. His performance is fantastic, man. You know, in in a normal slasher film such as the one they're 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 parodying, he would have his mask on for the majority of the climax, but they take it off often. And I'm I'm pretty sure I I don't know anybody involved with this film, but I would assume that it's because why hide his face? You know, if he's going to, you know, if he's going to choke somebody off, let's see what he's thinking. Let's see what he's feeling. He's got that combination on the skin of the uh, flame retardants and a um, bunch of other stuff. Preparation H, man. Preparation, Preparation H. H. Yeah. I guess it was already touched on, but I just love his intelligence, you know, and if you stack him up against his three idols, which are Freddie jason and um and myers you know he doesn't have what they have he doesn't have brute strength he doesn't have supernatural powers but what he lacks he makes up for in just the most meticulous planning and his ability to manipulate people and just how damn smart he is you know you know the whole time that he is the smartest person in that movie and so like if if you were to do a a serial killer team up 
film or versus film. You know, he'd like be the Batman in the group. Like he doesn't have powers. He's not the strongest. He's not going to come back to life. But man, he he thinks of everything. He plans for everything. <laughs> and um, I think his foresight is just shocking. You know, like he you learn at the end that he was he, he was planning the plot of this movie since the very beginning. And as the viewer, you're kind of always suspecting, like, is he going to kill this documentary crew? And I think in the back of her mind, she's wondering it also. She's wondering, like, like this could make an amazing student film that can go to fa- film festivals or this guy could kill me and my crew. Um, so that makes a really interesting dynamic. And uh, I think Kevin mentioned earlier, you know, how he can be charismatic but then he flips a switch and things get really serious. And I think as an actress, those are her best moments when she sees him flip the switch and she realizes even, even early in the film in act one, like maybe I'm in over my head. Uh, Those are really interesting character moments between the two of them. For me, I personally liked how she was, she just seemed all excited about her, her choice of being this journalist because, and it, it gets brought up in the film as well is, is her choice of, of being this, that this is her destiny. And, and, you know, she, she keeps, she keeps at it even though, and, and I love that about her because I love when people are passionate about the things that they do. And it is a, a great thing to have a character with this much energy. And you see that also in the Leslie character, because I've never seen a, a slasher so excited about being a slasher, you know, he, he was so happy. And it was like, he's the type of guy that you expect to sit back and study up on all the rules just so that he could get it right. And I really enjoyed that about his character. So uh, let's go in and talk about the second act where we have uh, Dr. Holleran played by Robert Englund of all people. Uh, and uh, his character essentially reveals to Taylor the truth behind Leslie, that Leslie is not the Leslie Vernon that he is uh, basically portraying, that his entire backstory has been fabricated with, of course, some elements of truth, because, you know, you have to do that in order to make a really good, scary story, I guess. You know, when Taylor finds out about this, she confronts Leslie and he eventually lets her know about everything that's happened and, and what it is that he is actually trying to do. And he does the surprising thing in my mind is he kind of lets her go and says, if you want to stop, I, you know, that's it. You can go. Uh, but she does make that decision. I, I talked about it earlier. She makes the decision. That's her destiny. She chose to be a journalist. She wants to continue with this. And so what are your thoughts about this kind of reveal? Yeah, um, that was interesting for me because I guess I started off the movie unsure whether to believe, had, you know, that the supernatural origin story that he had kind of created, had they, the urban legend was true or not. And then when he, he does reveal to her somewhere around the reveal of Doc Holland, he reveals to her that he is just a normal guy and that he's kind of created this. I remember upon initially viewing the film, I felt uncertain about it, but um, after it set in, I kind of liked it. It kind of fits who he is. And it also, it just adds to the humor and the mystique and the planning he has to go through. I thought bringing in Robert England as the foil for the serial killer was 
just the the most perfect casting. You know, it's like the kind of casting where you're just like, no one else could have played that character. Like it has to be Robert England because mm-hmm. he's Freddie and who better to be fighting Leslie than the actor who played one of his heroes. You know, it's just like the most ironic casting and I loved it. And then a little later in the movie, when Leslie revisits his mentor and his and and the mentor's wife, they they congratulate him. They're like, "You have an Ahab." They're like, "Yeah, so Yay. they're so proud of him." Like, you have a guy who's trying to kill you. Like, you're part of the big leagues now. It's that's ah, oh, it's just such great filmmaking. And you know that the people who made this movie really understand horror. How about you, Cole? Uh, what are your uh, thoughts about this reveal of Leslie? Leslie's backstory being not his true backstory. Uh, I, I, I think it's fine. I would have rather some of the other stuff that they shot been in the film, aside from all this false identity bullshit, and they could have just left that ambiguous. Yeah, I, I think I think that's I think it's fine. Like if I'd never even seen the trailer for the film, which has better stuff than that stupid subplot of him faking his identity or whatever. I, I, you know, it's okay. It's fine. It works. Um, I would have used the screen time for other things, like some of the other stuff they shot. Interesting. How how about you, Kevin? What, uh, what would you like to add to that? Um, For me, I I guess I'm okay with it. Um, Simply because of the fact that to me, it works as a decent setup for him to kind of give his actual final girl, that opportunity of should I stay or should I go? Um, He basically places the ball pretty solidly in her court. You know, what she thought was going on isn't 100% what is going on. So he basically lets her decide, you know, whether she's going to stay in the project or not, so that it almost becomes even more tragic when she decides to stay on because really, truly it was her, uh, it was her decision that kept her and her crew on board as the night of terror progresses. A couple of interesting things that I did wind up running across in regards to the, uh, the revelation that his real name was uh, Leslie Mancuso. Um, Frank Mancuso Jr. was the producer on most of the Friday the 13th movies. So it's one of those little uh, homages to uh, elements of the slasher catalog that came before. Also, Doc Halloran's wardrobe and his beard are nearly identical to what Donald Pleasant's uh, Dr. Loomis had in the uh, in the early Halloween films. Oh, that's super cool! I didn't know. Uh, I didn't know most of those facts. Me neither. That's awesome, man. Well, and, and uh, so I think Kevin's going to do really well in uh, one of the games that we'll be playing later tonight called uh, Truth or Jerk. And <laughs> yeah, he's, it's 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 going to be a fun game. When we get to it, I'll I'll, I'll describe what it uh, what it entails. And I think uh, Kevin is just going to rock it because he knows so much about this film. <laughs> What I also liked about the uh, second act was that they introduced a lot of humor in this thing as we kind of discover more of his plan. And he, he kind of explains the whole concept of, of the closet and, and it being the womb. And then uh, Taylor's, Taylor's response is, you're a pro-lifer. And then when they go through his story of the first kill and how he's describing the, the gratuitous type you know, breast shot, 
uh, and the whole concept of the very hard and long hard weapon. I thought those are all very humorous things to add into the second plot and it, it kind of <laughs> lightened things up a bit too as we got into the very serious last act uh what are your thoughts on that cole yeah yeah i think it was i think it was great you know my uh fiance had never seen it before she loves slasher movies and um about halfway through which is you know shortly before the the the, the scenes you're talking about she's like is this supposed to be scary and I said, I don't know. It depends on how you, you know, view horror and the buildup to horror. All I can tell you is that you need to see this movie all the way through before you can form a judgment. Because when it first came out, it was fucking revolutionary. The whole first half of the movie is just jokes, pretty much. To me, when I watch it again tonight, it's like you've got these great performances and some really shoddy camera work and a bunch of really good jokes how much you do, how much this is a comedy to you depends on how much you know, know about slasher movies and if you're on the outside of that knowledge it's going to work on the level of well this guy is fucking creepy and why are these guys filming him you know i i think there's that level of it too this really sort of when you slow down to see a car crash level that it works on i don't know that you need to know that it's Kane Hodder standing outside 1428 Elm Street to, to get the joke. I, the comedy that really comes into play in the second act, mm-hmm. I think if they don't introduce that in the second act, to me, the movie might not have worked. Because it's it's really not a straight-up uh, slasher film. You know, it, it gets serious, but not too serious. It gets violent, but not too violent. It gets bloody, but not too bloody. So if you're, if you're sitting down to watch a slasher movie a straight up slasher movie and you watch this, you're bound to be disappointed. So I feel like if in the second act they had played it too serious, the third act would not have worked. But because the second act, the the first act too, but the second act especially is so funny, especially like, like the walking scene, you know, he's like all out of breath. He's like, how am I going to keep up? You know, if you don't have that stuff in there, you can't forgive it for not being scary, but because it's so funny, you're like, well, I'm okay with not being scared because this character is so likable. The jokes are so on point. They get horror and they understand what they're doing with it. They're not here to scare you. They're here to, you know, help you understand the genre. Um, because you know, of it's, it's, it's one of those genres that, you know, a lot of the movies are extremely similar and these, the, these filmmakers seem to really understand why they're so similar and, and be able to turn, a lot of those things around and, and make them hilarious. So for that reason, I think the second act really works. And if you guys aren't getting the impression yet, I, I think this is basically a perfect movie. <laughs> it's like, awesome. Awesome, I, man. <laughs> I give this, I give this movie a total a plus across the board. I think it's one of the, one of my favorite uh, horror movies for sure. It's a fucking classic for sure. Yeah. Nice. Kevin, would you like to add anything about the the second act in general or the humor? Yeah, I, uh, I think it honestly, it is important that it's there. Um, and it's simply for me, it comes from a juxtaposition standpoint, because as we're heading into the his night of terror, having that butted up against this humor really kind of it. it I guess it kind of almost lulls you into that false sense of like, oh, it's going to be okay. There's a certain level of theory 
that goes into things like this. I worked in haunted houses when I was in my late teens, early 20s. And one of the things that you wind up learning pretty quick off the bat is that you can't just go beat for beat for beat with the scares because after a certain point, it becomes ineffective because you just can't keep pushing that same note over and over and over again and expect to get the same kind of reaction when you can take something like humor and sort of like give that breath, give that release. And all of a sudden it's like, Oh, things are going to be okay. And then hit hard again on that horror note. That's where you can all of a sudden get that same level of reaction to the uh, to the terror, whereas if you just kept trying to to push that same feeling over and over and over again, you eventually just wind up tapping out on it. So that brings us into our final act, and essentially the real plan is finally revealed to Taylor. Because of that, well, Taylor learns, as we already mentioned, that she in fact is the survival girl. She is the final girl. She is the, in fact, virgin of the story. And apparently because of that, the, the plan uh, that Leslie had set forth has, it didn't go the way that she thought. And she was trying to stop him from doing that. But she only does this after the reality of the situation sets in. They're filming right up to the first kill. And that's when the crew realizes that this whole this rock star image of the slasher guy is, is not what they thought that people are dying. And, and this is, this is getting real for them. And so they try to stop him. But of course, because she didn't realize in time that she thought Kelly was supposed to be the uh, last, the final girl, they tried to keep her alive, but apparently, you know, that wasn't going to work because it wasn't part of the story. She was in fact, the one that was destined to uh, be the final opponent uh, of Leslie to take him to that next level. I really want to know what you guys thought about why it took that sudden realization, that reality, because up to that point, they had a lot of opportunities to realize that this is going to end in some kind of killing. Is it because that this world was set up so that slashers were these like celebrity type people or is it just because they were trying to be naive or so what are your thoughts? I I think the, uh, I think the thing that works here for me in regards to, uh, to why this plays out well with the, uh, with the naivety of the situation is that they suddenly find themselves. It's basically the, the film turns on its ear. Now, all of a sudden they realize that like things have become incredibly real. People are dying. And it's basically that twist of conscience that comes into play where it's like, Oh, Holy crap. Like it's one thing to talk about it, but it's another thing to be there first person and see it start to go down. The, the thing for me though, that really works in this act is that as they try to undo things using the information that Leslie has given them, it becomes pretty apparent pretty quickly that he basically gave them a list of false information Mm -hmm. to work off of. 
and that he already has determined what their reactions are going to be in this situation. So everything that they're trying to do to stop the killing from happening is almost quickening things and bringing the climax faster just simply because they're still trying to wrap their head around like how do we how do we stop this when they've basically been on the hook the entire while and they're playing right into Leslie's hand. <laughs> uh, how about you, uh, Keith? Well, um, you know, I think at a certain point going into the conclusion of the movie, most people before this, the, our lead documentarian character, before she realizes that she's the final girl, I think most viewers will recognize it, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, I think what they achieved here is something that I try to achieve in my filmmaking and is a lot of great films I love is that it's not, it doesn't become predictable. It just becomes inevitable, you know? And that's, I feel like there's a, a lot of people might miss mistake inevitability for predictability. Um, but to me, it's, that's like where kind of like the art of filmmaking comes in. It's, you know, it's not that it was predictable that this girl was going to be his target. It's that it was, when you look back on the entire film, it was so inevitable. Like it, it was his plan the whole time. Um, and I think as for the viewer, like putting all those pieces together is really fun. And, you know, like Kevin said, um, once you start going down the rabbit hole and, and learning all the false information he gave the documentary crew and how that false information was leading them to make the choices that Leslie actually wanted them to make. Um, man, it's like the puzzle pieces come together. And, uh, you know, as far as horror goes, it's not the scariest. It's not the bloodiest. It's not the most violent. It doesn't have the best kill scenes, but, but plot wise, it is super, super enjoyable. And there is one really cool kill. I don't know if you guys remember the post hole kill. You don't have to. Oh yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's so good. You don't even really see it happen, but you see, you know, he, he takes the postal digger and he drops the heart the guy's heart into his own hand into his own hand yeah oh man. you gotta that's laugh so cool that scene is so cool it's so funny yeah um and yeah it's it's just uh he's an engaging character the plot is awesome the inevitability of of the main girl becoming leslie's final girl is just so cool to see how it plays out um it's a really fun third act <laughs> how about you Cole? what are your thoughts I think it's, uh, depending on what you consider the beginning of the final act, we get to see a beautifully filmed reveal of her two cameramen, right? We've never seen them except for in brief glimpses, which is cool. You know, I was was kind of watching the film thinking of what I was going to say tonight, and I was like, God, how how do we ever develop sympathy for the cameraman? I I hadn't watched it in like five, six years, and... uh, you know, they, they deal with that very well. Uh, the, the final act is phenomenal. Again, I would say it would have been nice to have, um, I don't know, a, a fire sequence that was a bit more elaborate and, and something that was a bit more, you know, the, the whole apple scene, you know, the, what, what do they call it? The apple turner with his head. It would have been nice to see a little bit more um, just, just because of, uh, the buildup to those things. Um, they have the i they have the iconic shots down. It it would have been nice to have just let loose and and see um, 
some violence that didn't exactly look like it was phoned in or completely distant from the characters, especially when you're dealing with the death of Leslie Vernon. But that said, you know, uh, four and a half stars out of five. Uh, I think this film works. I, I do think that once uh, it abandons the sort of documentarian side of things and they start focusing on just flat out, hey, this is it. You know, there's no uh, there's no eagle's eye view to this here in the story. I think it does lose something because I, I don't think there's even the necessary insert shots to handle that stuff. I mean, I think there's necessary insert shots in some of those action scenes that leave them lacking. I really do. I feel like there are shots that just don't exist that they needed, such as pitchforks going through skin, just such as people going through doors. I mean, I do think there are huge gaps in the final act, to be honest, but it's a wonderful film. I uh, love it. Part, of, part of that might have been because they did, uh, they virtually switched the entire movie's gears from the document, uh, the, the documentary to an actual movie at that point. She actually yeah. says, put the cameras away. And it's kind of like the, the old uh, 3d movies where you put your glasses on, you know, at that point, that was the trigger. <laughs> yeah. And the movie changes. Absolutely. absolutely. Absolutely, man. So <laughs> the moment that the viewer is finally given over to the fact that it's our documentarian, that's the final girl is about as subtle as a shotgun as they walk <laughs> into the bedroom uh-huh. And Kelly is just in full throws on the bed, and I think it's one of the I think it's one of the uh, the documentarians that says, uh, "Well, I can guarantee you she's not a virgin." <laughs> <laughs> so one of the things that are different about film jerks is that uh, we do things like a book club, and one of the things that book clubs have that review shows don't have are fun little games that we can use to help discuss the films. Uh, And we have two wonderful games uh, tonight, the first of which is called Words, Words, Words. And in Words, 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 what we've done is we've taken a quote, a line or two from the movie, and we've run it through Google Translate. And what I'll do is I'll give the panel the uh, resulting line that comes out, and they have to guess what the original quote was. And if we have some time, we can talk about the quote and what it meant to us uh, in regards to the film. So you guys ready? Ready. All right. Yeah, uh, yes. Again, the first, the first line went from English uh, and it translated to uh, Bangla, to Bulgarian, to Welsh, to Korean, and then back to English. And the resulting line is run as a mother and the reader will not stop until the rising sun. <laughs> <laughs> so what is the original line from the film? You know, I, I feel like I, I don't know the line exactly, but I know the scene, I think. <laughs> Describe the scene, and I can tell you if you got it. And it, it's where he's like, he's like, oh, man, you know, they're they're running at full speed, and I have to walk, and, you know, I have to be able to do this all day, and, you know, and then I, I don't know how, it's, oh, God, I'm, I'm, I'm butchering it so bad. <laughs> I, I think I've got, I think I've got this one. All right. What what did you is think? This, is? Uh, is this is this Eugene's line of aside from that? The simple answer is run like a motherfucker and don't stop till the sun comes up. That is exactly right. That's Eugene's line. Run like a motherfucker and don't stop till the sun comes up. Wow! Awesome. 
So, uh, you guys having fun with this game, hopefully? Oh, yeah. All right, we'll give you another one here. Uh, this one went from English to Korean to Bosnian to Lao to Spanish and then back to English. And the resulting line is, I'm not here tonight to get wet. Tie up shoes for children. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I'm clueless. Ah. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm out. I got it. All right. Uh, this is Leslie. Uh, it's going to get wet in here tonight. Lace your boots up, kitties. That's correct. <laughs> okay, this one went from English to Punjabi to Hawaiian to Khmer to Dutch and then back to English. Nice. Okay. I do save your money to stand here. <laughs> the, this game reminds me of all our base belong are belong to us. Exactly. Well, all your base are belong to us. Because <laughs> <laughs> there's some words that do not translate, and so what Google Translate does is it picks the next word that's close to it. So in this particular case, it turned into nice, okay? I do save your money to stand here. All right. Is it okay, cool, fine? You guys stand here holding your balls? That's correct. <laughs> wow, Kevin's good at this. Yes, he is. Uh, we got two more. We'll do these real quick. Uh, this one went from English to Russian to Bulgarian to uh, Americ, Americ, uh to Basque, back to English. Bounce off, Johnson Jr. What a pogo stick is alive as a girl. And this is the line that I was warning you guys about. Uh, this happens to be describing Kelly. Yeah. I, I believe this is the line that uh, somebody was thinking about that said that she wasn't a virgin. Well, I know the line. I can't. I won't know unless I look it up. So right. I'm not, I don't know it. Oh, no, it's fine. You can look it up if you like. If you know what it no, is. No, no, it's okay. Okay. So the the uh, actual original line was: "What kind of survivor girl hops on a nerdy kid's Johnson like it's a pogo stick?" <laughs> nice. <laughs> I figured there was no translation for pogo stick. Pogo stick is just a pogo stick. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Well, in Russian though, there it was. It was translate. It would translate it to like uh, a cart. It would turn it into like a wagon. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Oh wow! Really? Yeah, that's what it did because it couldn't wow. find pogo stick, so it, tra- oh, it translated it into a, like a wagon. All right, here's the last one. This one went from English to Greek to Icelandic to uh, Sindhi to Pashto back to English. <laughs> uh, th- this one's going to be a really hard one. So. I would like to apologize that I was not a fan. <laughs> God damn. This one's a really hard one. I, I shouldn't have given it to you guys too, but it's because I'm mean and, and sadistic. I can be that way. You guys give up or you guys want to give it, give it a shot. I'm out. I'm, right. I, yeah, I'm, I'm out. Dude. All right. How about you, Kevin? I bring think it, you it. got me stumped on this one. Okay. Uh, so, I would like to apologize that I was not a fan actually translated from I'm sorry, I'm not a virgin. (laughs) Isn't that amazing? (laughs) Yeah, I didn't, man. So apparently virgins are fans in some language. (laughs) All right. In other languages, some people are fans of virgins. That's true. (laughs) That is very true. (laughs) Apparently, slashers are very big fans of virgins as well. So, all right. Uh, though, that, how, what'd you guys think of uh, Words, Words, Words? Awesome. It was fun, man. 
All right. Very cool. Very cool. We'll play our last, uh, the last game of the night. I hinted at it earlier. It's called a Truth or Jerk. And what Truth or Jerk is, is basically I'll rattle off some trivia about the film, and you guys decide whether or not I'm telling the truth or if I'm <laughs> lying. All right? <laughs> All right, man. All right, the first one. Okay. Like Leslie Vernon, the actor Nathan Bastel uh, has a different last name. His real name is Nathan Jonas. Truth or jerk? I could believe this one because maybe he just didn't want to be thought of as a Jonas brother. So he's like, I got to I gotta get something new. I got to change it, yeah. <laughs> that, would be, that would have been a thing from around the time that these uh, that the film would have come out. So, All right. how, about, how about you, Cole? What do you think? Yeah. You think truth? You guys think truth? Yeah, I think truth. Maybe. That is a jerk. Jonas is actually the second, uh, uh, the name of his second son. So the next one, uh, the actress that plays Taylor in the film, Angela uh, Gothels, appears in Home Alone and Jerry Maguire. Truth or jerk? Hmm. I'm trying to go through Home Alone now. It's it's one of my favorite movies. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not sure. I uh, man, <laughs> that's tricky. Well, when 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 uncertain, you answer D, right? <laughs> <laughs> Care to give a guess? I'll do the uh, Family Feud. You know, if you time out. <laughs> I will go with yes. How about that? Go with yes. Okay. Uh, yeah, me too. You guys gonna go with yes? I'll go, I'll go, I'll go with yes. Yeah. Me too. Yeah, I'm it going is, with yes. It is true. It is true. She was both in Home Alone. And Jerry Maguire. Who was she in Home Alone? Did she just have like a walk-on part or was she a character? I think she was a character. It, it says she's known for it. So oh, I didn't. Yeah. Yeah. I got to look that up. Truth or jerk. Robert Englund's character is an homage to The Shining. Oh, I'm going to say jerk. Okay. The rest of you guys. Jerk is false. The jerk is false. Yeah, I'll say jerk. Yeah, I mean, I guess the only analogy I can think of was that, um, oh gosh, you know, you know the the other caretaker who gets called by Danny on the radio and he comes up on a snowmobile and tries to kill Jack. Uh, oh Scatman, yeah, Carruthers in. Uh, yeah, maybe. I mean, maybe. Maybe, were, yeah. Because he was kind of like an Ahab sort of. Yeah. So I'll, I'll, I'll be the different one. I'll say that that's true. Uh, it wow. is true. It, it, his name is based on. Awesome. Um, so good job. Uh, truth or jerk? Zelda Rubinstein played the uh, character Madame Zerlina in the film Poltergeist. Ooh, this house is clean. That one, I I I know that Definitely. that's true. She's definitely in Poltergeist. Is that the name though? Is what I'm oh. on. Well, I know that she was in Pulsar, guys, so I'll, I'll say that that's true. Okay. Even though I don't remember the character's name. Okay. How about I, you, Cole? I, have, I have no fucking idea, <laughs> to be honest. It, I'll, I'll go with false. I, I have it, no idea. It is jerk. Her name was Tangina. In the uh, film, yes. So you got you, you. Your instincts are 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 really good. Oh, here here's an here's an odd one. 
Uh, the car in Eugene's driveway is the same make, model, and color as the one in the Evil Dead films. Truth or True. Ooh. They sounded so certain. I'll just, I'm going with them. True. Yeah. Oh, Christ. I have no idea. <laughs> it is true. Um, it is true. Wow. That's <laughs> awesome. Good work, guys. Uh, we'll do uh, two more. How about that? Sound, sound awesome. Good? Awesome. Sounds good. All right. Uh, Taylor is outside the Red Herring uh, Rub. <laughs> Red Herring Pub, which is a reference to Halloween. Truth or jerk? Jerk. Okay. How about you, guys? The rest, guys? Can you yeah, repeat it? Can you repeat yes. the question? Yes. Uh, okay. uh, truth or jerk? Taylor is outside the Red Herring Pub, which is a reference to Halloween. The Red Herring. That actually sounds familiar. Um, I have no idea. I don't know. I uh, think I'm gonna I'm gonna call jerk on this one. Right. Red herring Red herring pub is not ringing a bell. Can, can I give Can I give my my hunch on this one? Sure thing. Go ahead. Loomis has a matchbook. He has a matchbook. This is true. That might have it? red herring it? in, in Halloween, it? but it's, it's not red herring. <laughs> it's not. No. What is it? It's red something, right? The red it's, snapper. No, it's <laughs> no, it's red something. Yeah. You know? Well, you guys got yeah, it right. I, no I, I didn't study for this shit, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's called the Red Rabbit Pub. Yes, yes. And in fact, uh, the strip club in zombies films have that. It's the Red Rabbit. So, yeah. Damn it! I knew that, and I forgot it. All right, last one, last truth or jerk, and I hope you guys are having fun with this. Oh, yeah. When Taylor interviews Eugene, there is a jack-in-a-box from April Fool's Day in the background. Truth or jerk? <laughs> that sounds like something I'm going to do. I'll say truth. Okay. I'm going to go with jerk. Okay. How about you, Cole? I, I don't know, man. I have no idea. <laughs> the answer is jerk because the box is actually the lament box from Hellraiser. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Holy yeah you, guys did, you guys did really, really well. I wasn't taking scores, so but you guys are still doing really, really well. <laughs> this this is one of those films though where like those weird little details yes. are the ones that really sort of pay off on repeat viewing and uh, for fans of the genre because they really did cram a lot of things into what basically comes on to be in about 90 minutes. Yeah. yeah I, I, uh, I watched a little YouTube analysis of uh, Leslie Vernon just this afternoon. And there was, there's one shot of um, some girls in, I think in pigtails uh, playing jump mm-hmm. rope. That's like right out of um, uh, Elm street. Oh. And you know, there's like, there's so many little references in these movies like that in this movie like that. And it's just brilliant. You're right. It's, it, those little things for horror fans really make the payoff. Well, and we talked about it kind of earlier. Uh, there's also the scene where Kane Hodder is walking into Nancy's house from yes. there on Elm street. So yep. cool. Leslie's last name. There's his real last name. Right. Yep. So yeah, there are a lot of great, uh, little things like that. And that's exactly why we do these little discussion games because uh, on Film Jerks because it, we're able to get into things and talk about things that we don't normally talk about 
in the regular discussions. So I'm glad you guys played along with this. And I, I had a lot of fun and I hope you guys all did too. So, uh, yeah, but, it was a blast. Yeah, it was awesome, man. Awesome. <laughs> Fantastic. It's time for a brief break. And when we return, we're going to go over our final thoughts as well as our film jerks rating for the film. And now we take a short break. to film jerks where it is now time to go over our rating system for the evening we have three ratings here at film jerks we have love it meaning that you love the film you would highly recommend it to others lump it meaning uh you did not enjoy this film and would try to steer people as far away from it as possible and uh maybe there's good there's bad the film had a little bit of each. You wouldn't say not to go see it, but there's probably something that you, you know, pick uh, instead of watching this film. So, Paul, I'm going to send it over to you first. Uh, what did you think of Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Burnham? I'm going to give it a um, maybe, only because I, I did like the first two-thirds of the film. I thought that that documentary style was hugely clever uh, and uh, inventive, but that was the problem because it was so good that that's what I wanted the whole rest of the film to be. And when they switched it over to that, that really, I guess, normal ending for me, I was like, uh, but, but, but I wanted that one in the beginning. Where did you go? And so that's why it's a eh, maybe it's still a great film. You guys got to watch it because especially if you want to do horror films, I would highly recommend that because of all the little inside nuances of what it takes to make a, a horror film. You're going to, going to love that. Uh, but again, it, they did such a great job with the document uh, documentary. I just would have loved to seen all of the film be that. And that's why I'm going to give it a, uh, maybe instead of the full, like it. All right. <laughs> Um, I'm waiting for the gun blast to go. All right, Cole, uh, your thoughts and uh, your final writing. Um, I, I agree with everything Paul said, except I would give this the higher. What's the rating above? 
that. I love it. Yeah, I love it. I'm sorry. This is only the second time I've been on the show. No. Yeah, I would I would go ahead and love it. I would say the third act works, you know, if it works to a point. It works it works to the point that it does what it needs to do and uh doesn't necessarily cheat the audience even though it is short on payoff. But the film as a whole, you know, and and its influence on I'm sure people like me uh, who have zero money and wonder, well, Jesus, how do you reinvent the genre? Well, you know, uh, it's a much better role model than Scream or, or even Blair Witch because, you know, you've got a blueprint there to where you can use both mediums. And uh, I think various movies like uh, what's it, the fourth kind uh, use that model where you use both models, you know, and that, that, that might be the best way to combine it all, you know? Um, so yeah, uh, see this movie at any cost. Although I, I definitely agree with Paul that when they, when they leave the sort of handheld thing behind and it's all in normal slasher movie realm, I mean, once you figure out that she, you know, spoilers that 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 she is the heroine. It's all God. It's kind of gets bland, actually. When it should be getting exciting, it kind of loses its own. So, but I love it. I love it, man. Love the film. All right, and then uh, Keith, your thoughts on the film? I'm going full on, like it, love it. <laughs> it's um, you know, it's it's uh, it's kind of the way I like. Uh, my movies, you know, I love deconstruction. I love things that take cliches and and make them funny and point them out to the audience and are are really over the top about the tropes. And it's like we're being so tropey that it's not a trope, you know. And I I love that stuff. I think it's very clever. Um, so uh, yeah, I, you know, and for me, as much as I love it, I would never recommend it as an entry point into the slasher genre. Because I think if, if you're new to, if you're new to slasher movies, I think you're gonna watch it and not really get it. You know, you gotta watch all the franchises: Halloween, Indeed. Friday the Thirteenth. You know, you gotta know these franchises inside out and then watch this. And I think uh, I think what they did with all that knowledge is uh, is just really really clever, and uh, I can watch it over and over again. <laughs> Excellent. Um, and I completely agree with you. It's, this is definitely not an entry point thing. You know, like we were saying, there's so many homages back to other entries into the uh, the slasher catalog that I think a lot of it would be lost on someone who's just not, you know, well-versed or, you know, to use this as an introduction really would kind of, kind of fail a viewer. This was one of my selections. Um, I had put this up against uh, Brutal Massacre and uh, Dead and Breakfast for this month's film. Um, all three are horror films from the early 2000s that I think uh, all sort of approach things from interesting directions. Brutal Massacre being basically the spinal tap for the horror set. This being a really interesting take on the slasher genre and Dead and Breakfast being one of the only uh, zombie films I know of to have a country line dance scene in it. This is a movie that I absolutely love. Anytime that I can stumble upon 
a uh, a film that just really kind of breathes uh, fresh life into a genre that's been around for a while. It's it's something that just really kind of piques my interest. Um, basically, I'd catalog this in with uh, with films like Fido, which I think uh, does some really interesting things in the zombie genre. Basically, uh, <laughs> taking a boy a boy and its dog a uh, boy and his dog and turning it into a boy and his zombie. Um, that's, that's the stuff at this point that I just, I'm absolutely in love with. I'm the kid who grew up with a video store across the street. My mom raised me on horror from pretty much like the age of five up. So I've seen a ton of stuff over the years and it's good and fine for what it is. But when you really get this, you know, these fresh takes on stuff, um, it really gets me to take notice. Uh, let's go around our uh, panel table and uh, talk about what, uh, where you can find more about us and about any of the projects that we want to talk about. Uh, we'll uh, kick things off with our guests. Uh, we're going to start out with Keith. Keith, where can we find uh, uh, more about you and about the projects that you want to talk about? Sure. Uh, yeah, thanks for giving me the opportunity to be here and uh, plug some stuff. So people can find me on Facebook or on YouTube under the banner of uh, Hexagon Motion Pictures. I make short films, most of which are in the horror genre. Um, I had one last year at Paul's Festival. And uh, yeah, so I, I just like making shorts that are anywhere from two to ten minutes and sometimes take a more serious or sometimes take a more humorous look at uh, horror tropes. <laughs> Fantastic. And how about you, Cole? Um, so nice talking with Kevin and Keith. It was, it was a lot of fun to be here. Uh, you can find me at Shadows and Lovers Productions. Uh, I, I make horror movies. Other than that, Cole, Meredith, I'm around. Thanks for having me, Paul. Well, thank you for, for uh, joining us. You always uh, provide a lot of insight, and uh, we always enjoy having you here. So. Uh, how about you, Kevin? What, where can we find more about you and your projects? Uh, you can find me on Facebook at Kevin Blackheart Band. Um, this is my blues project that I do on the side. I'm actually in Green Bay tomorrow night opening up for Tyler Keith from the Neckbones. Um, I'm also in the process of working up a couple of blogs, which I'll be pitching in the next couple of months here. One being about uh, James Bond and uh, bonded uh, liquors. The other one, uh, unenviable task of uh, busting through all 300 issues of the comic book service. And I'll be blogging about that uh, shortly. Oh, fantastic. I'm looking forward to learning more about those projects. And if you want to learn more about the film jerks, uh, join our community group uh, on Facebook and uh, what you can do is you can vote on the films that we will be discussing in our podcast. Uh, for example, the uh, group voted for next month's film, and that's going to be the great, wonderful film Maximum Overdrive, which I'm looking forward to having all of us uh, hopefully talk about. And as for me, I'm currently promoting the Northeast Wisconsin Horror Film Festival, which takes place the second weekend of October. And to learn more about the festival, you can check out newhorrorfest.com. That's newhorrorfest.com. And thank you once again from all of us here at Film Jerks. Uh, just remember, at Film Jerks, we might not always be jerks to the films that we talk about, but when it comes to discussing films, we don't jerk around. Good night, everyone. Good night. Good, Good night, night, guys. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> My goodness. I can't relax I can't sleep Cause my bed's on fire 